A podcast of the cinema. You're Dave Whites. I'm yeah, Alonzo yeah. Duraldi. <laughs> I was. I held back just a second because I thought, oh, he's going to do all that. Uh, fi- yeah, I and figured, then I think you held back just a second because you thought I was. I figured do I all should. Yeah. 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 You get, go, go ahead and do it. We're film critics, and this is our show. What's your name again? Alonzo Duraldi. Say my name, Dave <laughs> White. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we are film critics, and we've been doing this podcast now for... Almost 13 years. Almost 13 years. Don't bother going back to the beginning. Oh, no. it's Do not recommend. It's not worth your time. Like, just... (laughs) We were learning on the job. Why? 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 Why live in the past? Yeah. (laughs) When the future is so terrifying. Boats against the currents. And all-absorbing. All we have is right now. Yeah. Um, how does it feel to you to be back on a Sunday linoleum knife recording schedule when we have been bopping around on different days for so long now that I don't even remember when we lost the thread <laughs> of doing these exclusively on Sunday afternoons. Um, I mean, it's different. Back when we did them regularly on Sunday, we weren't doing linoleum nights yet. We weren't doing the other Patreon podcasts. And we didn't That's have true. a weekly Zoom call with my family every Sunday That is well. true also. So suddenly Sunday's getting packed. The, the, the family that began Zoom calls during the pandemic and decided that they liked them so much that they kept doing them. Yeah, well, you know. We <laughs> here's the thing. Most of my family lives in the same city, but like, for which those, makes it even crazier. But for those of us who don't, well, but yeah, but they're busy. They got things. They got kids know, or whatever. I know. They're not. I know. But like, you know, I I used to communicate with my family like on birthdays, and and Saint days. And Saint. Day. <laughs> this is a family that observes Saint days. Yeah, I don't, but everybody else does. That anyway, means you do too. Well, I, yeah. they, they wish me a happy Saint. I'm like, oh, great. What you. I'm saying but, is that I am not complaining one bit about this insane family. <laughs> Thrilled that I get to be a part of it. <laughs> Trust anyway, me. Anyway, it's nice. That I, is 100% I, accurate I, and true. I like this weekly check-in. It's cool. It is. I like, you know what? I like it. Yeah. I like it too. Now, uh, for those of you who grew uh, accustomed to me talking about what I was making for Sunday dinner, uh, that part is not happening on this episode. No. I'm not making a dang thing today because it's a little too warm to cook and the kitchen is a disaster. It is a disaster. And we're going to spend our free time today cleaning the kitchen. I have been cooking things. You have. Uh, but just And mysteriously, that's made the pile of dishes grow even higher. Yes. And so... Um, it's that never-ending Sisyphean uh, yeah. uh, trouble of the dishes and the laundry and the trash. Yeah. Take out the trash, do the laundry, fold the laundry, hang up the laundry. Wear the laundry, put the laundry back in the dirty clothes. Iron the, the cloth handkerchiefs. I know that sounds... <laughs> and iron the cloth napkins. napkins. But, like, that's not a thing that people do. 
Maybe they do it. The right people. The right people do it. I do it. It's not like we're out here ironing our sheets like Oprah's staff. I I really do love ironing. I know that's bizarre. I do love to iron things that need to be ironed. There is something zen about it because you're standing in one place and you can like have the TV on or be listening to music. Yeah. And it is one of those things where you can tell the difference before you iron something and after, and after. after. Ironed, yeah. as opposed to like, like dusting which to me just seems like it never that is it, the true Sisyphean task it never ends dusting and it never really makes a dent in anything because a day later you're like oh I should have to maybe do that again yeah like, but you you iron a handkerchief or a shirt and you, it, it is ironed until, it stays that way yeah until you you know yeah. muss it anyway we're ordering in dinner today yes we <laughs> <today>. are <laughs> I, I just didn't have the energy for all that nonsense. Today. Understood. I'm very, I'm a very exhausted person, and I'm getting smaller and weaker all the time. <laughs> you are not. I am. I'm shrinking. <laughs> I'm shrinking in weird ways. To buy all new clothes for this wedding that we've got coming up in October. Mm. I mean, so do I. I haven't. Nothing fits me. I anymore. haven't worn a suit in. Like four years, going on five years. Yeah, but I bet you you still fit into all the stuff we have eh. in the back of that closet. Mm. All the all the nice all the nice dress up clothing. I might fit into the nice dress up clothing that you no longer fit in. <laughs> Hopefully, that circle of life continues. We'll see. Oh my god! And speaking of that, I went to various websites mm-hmm. that sell men's suits. Yeah. I know we are. Uh, I know this is a Brooks Brothers home when, mm-hmm. it, com- when it comes to long-lasting, sure. you know, men's classic look nice clothing. Yes, but I'm still like in the middle of all of this, mm-hmm. and what I am right now is not what I was a year ago. But it might not be what I am a year from now. Also, that we're going to men's warehouse. <laughs> Okay, fine. We're going to get the three suits for $100 situation at Men's Warehouse. Joseph A. Bank. Whatever it is, whatever it takes. Like, I, I, I'm i telling you that at this wedding, we nobody, live in flux. nobody needs to take my photo at this wedding because I'm going to be wearing a cheap suit. Well, you will be photographed a cheap, inevitably. A so cheap suit. Find one that looks good for at least one major wearing. <laughs> Please, I might need. I might even scout around to people who are now currently my size and see what I can borrow. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Which is a great idea that I just had. You know what? Look, you complained that the thrift stores in the '80s never had your size because everybody wanted. Oh, to they dress still like don't. I'm still David too big Byrne, for the, but... I'm still too big for the thrift store. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, in the '80s, you wanted that whole like oversized thing going on. Yeah, the blazer that you could hike yeah. the sleeves up in. Yeah. yeah. And then Simple Minds ruined that <laughs> for everybody. You thought you were cool for a minute, and then Simple Minds comes along and uh, puts on big suits. Does the schmancy plus-size store that we have gone to in the past... I don't think that place even exists anymore. I think it does. does under it? Other, I think it's under another name, but it's it bought name. by a larger company. Well, I know they're not cool anymore, whatever they are, because they don't have that big bowl of candy on the counter. Well... I mean, you know. That... There used to be a very high-end, men, big and tall menswear store in Beverly yeah. Hills that had a giant bowl of candy on the counter. Yes, like they and they should. Them and dentists, if they know, if they come if, they're, back. if they want repeat business, free candy, come back. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that place does it sell 
like suity stuff. Does it sell the no man's land in between too big for the department store and too skinny for the big and tall store? Uh, one I don't one. know what they've got. Yeah, no, I, I, right I dwell in that no man's land as well. So anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, that's right. Cinema. Yes. <laughs> in our roundabout way. Uh, please go listen to last week's episode where we very stupidly forgot to call the episode Oops, all art house. Yes. Who, who reminded us of that? Uh, I, it's who one of told the, us it's, that's it's, what it's it one of the happen. letters, but okay. uh, yes, thank you, listener. That was genius. Uh, and this week it's... Uh, the hits keep coming. The big hits. The big, the big, the big hits. Yeah. Although, one of them is not as big a hit as, as a film we haven't talked about yet. But we'll get to that. Yes. In fact, let's get to it right now. Okay. Mission Impossible. Yes. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Part one. I I uh I used up my AC AMC stubs pass. My my what's the top A-list. tier list? What's the top tier called? Your A list. The A list. I'm the A list. Mm-hmm. I'm an A lister. Yes. Y'all, if you have an AMC <laughs> uh, multiplex in your area, you got to get the A list stubs pass. And I'm not doing an ad here. I'm no. telling you, I'm telling you something about frugal Lived experience. Frugal living. Twenty four ninety five a month is what it costs you. Yeah, and you get to see three free films a week yeah. for that twenty four ninety five a month, which means where we live, that's what two tickets. If you go to one IMAX movie, you oh, well, yeah. almost. Paid for the whole thing. True. If you go to two movies in Los Angeles, you have more than paid for the whole thing. Yeah. If you go to three a week, yeah, it's about a dollar eighty-five a movie. Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 printing money at that point. That's that's serious. Yeah. And so um, that's what I do. This week I used up all three of my passes. I went to see Mission Impossible on Monday because mm-hmm. I needed to give it some time. Nothing I hate more than a packed, packed theater with strangers rubbing up on me. I'm not. No, 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 no. Please go breathe somewhere else over there, <laughs> whoever you are, and I don't know you. Yeah, and touching my armrest. And this maybe. was this was you pre-pandemic. Less people think. That oh, yeah, this no, I'm not is talking a, a about new, COVID. No, you've, about you've COVID. always hated other people. I don't like being near other. Uh, my ideal situation, which is not the ideal situation for any actual movie theater, is to be alone. Is to Howard Hughes it? <laughs> yeah, I want to be alone. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, that's a double-edged sword because if you are alone, what it means is that theater's going to close. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think and you, I think there is something to be said. That for theater like, needs people in the seats. We talk about the collective experience of seeing movies. Yeah, I don't care about that. Never did. Uh, I, no, I don't think that's true. I, th- I think tell I, me what, tell me how I'm wrong. I think I think for like certain kinds of comedies, like what? I, okay, perfect example. Yeah. What was the oh God? What was the horror movie last year with the basement? Barbarian. 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 We saw in a. You know, at least three quarter full auditorium ish, and that was fun. Like the other but people, those people didn't have any uh, effect on me I, or my 
my my my experience of the film. Well, such. you can say that all you want. I, I am going to say it all I want because I'm right. I think I think that having other people please around, tell me more about how I feel and think. Uh, I just I think you're showing off recumbent. <laughs> I, I I think that you are not immune to the appeal of seeing movies in a crowd. That's I part am fully immune. That's always been part of the I appeal. One hundred and seven percent immune of the cinema is that you are in this cathedral with others in nope. the dark, having a shared experience. Nope. I'm in my fort. I'm in my little fort that I made okay. out of boxes and blankets. I am in my cocoon of me, mine, my space. This is my movie right now. Mine. Fine. Me, mine, me. Okay. <laughs> I am not kidding. The only person that I always want with me at a theater is you. And a few good friends who go to films with me uh-huh. when you aren't available or when you don't want to see the movie. Mm-hmm. But oh, how I love right. to have no other human beings. All right, Mr. Theater. Grinch. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding, and I'm not showing off for company. I am telling the full TIS truth. I mean, I'm not, believe me, if I can avoid a packed house, I will. Yeah. But at the same time, like, for instance, as I have said since we saw it, I hope one day to get to see Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar projected with an audience. I've seen it twice, and it's good. It is good, and it, I don't need other. It's people. good and fun alone. Uh, I you know, need you, you to laugh home. to tell me to laugh. No, that's not the point. Okay, what is the point? The, there's just there's the collective experience mm-hmm. of. Oh man, I spent too many. I spent too long in church. <laughs> you didn't go to church as much as I did when I was when you were younger. <laughs> yes, I went a mere once a week. Sorry. I went way too much to church when I was young, and <laughs> I've had plenty of the collective uh, okay experience in a cathedral. Thank you. Fine. I didn't even get a cathedral. You at least, <laughs> you at least went to a Catholic church where the church was pretty, probably. Uh, we what? we had cathedral access. Our church was a very boxy suburban. Well, thing. the evangelicals make churches out of old Payless shoe stores. <laughs> so, if you're imagining like stained glass in mine, I hate to break mm. it to you, but no, there was none. No stained uh, glass. Uh, no. Well, I um, am right about myself okay. and my lived experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not here to gaslight you. Yeah, don't gaslight me, Alonzo. Don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> Standing in my truth here. That's right. <laughs> in a puddle of your own truth. Anyway, I waited a while to see Mission Impossible. And I was rewarded. By a theater that was about one quarter full. Okay. That was nice. And this movie is about Tom Cruise on an impossible mission. Yes. With other people. <laughs> and they're, they're trying to find a thing, the key, which is basically the same key that was in the Transformers movie. Yeah, it's a two-parter. I mean, it's a two-piece key anyway. And they got to chase the key all around the world. Yeah. And in the process, get in a lot of scrapes. <laughs> yes. And it's a blast. It is. It is a super entertaining, uh, enjoyable action thriller movie where all I ever thought about was, first of all, what if Tom Cruise dies? 
making one of these stunts happen. Because now he's Mr. I do my own stunts. Yeah, I think he won't be happy in, until he does. And then my next thought is... And apparently, do you know this? They shoot the, they, they shoot, they shoot the hardest ones first. Yes, in case he, in case he does it. die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a company man right there. Telling I don't want to waste anybody's money with my death. Yes. <laughs> We can either we can either end the shooting, or maybe Henry Cavill can come in and just play the rest of my role. Just punch people the whole movie. Yeah, bring in Henry Cavill to punch people a lot Please. in a Mission Impossible movie. No, here was my second thought about Tom Cruise and his antics. Yes, in the in this and other Mission Impossible films, mm-hmm. you cannot convince me that his determination to do all of these stunts, bigger and bigger and bigger and seemingly more harrowing and dangerous mm-hmm. stunts, is some sort of Scientology level that he needs to achieve? I think he Some thinks, sort of pursuit of superhuman excellence? I think he that thinks he he's is, already there. He is very much in a religious mindset. I think he got to it. the top of the bridge where it just says superhero. Yeah. And he's just living it that, living that life now. What's the poster that we have, say, at the top? I think What's it's something top? like superhero. Like, no. like, you can fly, dude, basically. <laughs> years ago, sounds. years ago, very dear friends found a vintage... 80s Scientology textbook at a garage sale yes, or a thrift store or something. And it even had inside it these like chart your progress posters. Mm-hmm. And we had, there were two of them and we put one of them on our refrigerator <laughs> and the other one we folded up and placed very neatly in the book and it's still there. Yes. We didn't want to ruin, we ruined the one that was on the fridge. It's just, yes. you know, sun damage, kitchen destroyed bladder. Um, and I need to go back and look at what the top of the ladder is on that on that chart. I don't I don't know that it's called superhero. It's for all intents and purposes, yeah. I believe it is. Anyway, if you're going to be a part of a religion, and it's all about self improvement and and whatever it is that Scientology is about, then I think a good way to achieve is to to become a movie star and mm-hmm. do all your own stunts. There you go. Yeah. Like it's the very it's a very rarefied path. Where, how how to... else are you going to share that gift with the world? <laughs> but you know, I wish I had more to say about the content of this film because the content of this film has nothing to do with anything except visceral thrills. Yeah, like this is a spy movie not in the Jean Le Carré sense, but in With the complex plot mechanics and yeah, and something and, to say about geopolitics. Characters who are really no, This is a spy know. movie in the like Roger Moore 007 sense, right. which is let's go to cool places and jump off of things. Yeah. And in that in that respect, it is cooler than many of the recent James Bond movies. Oh, sure. Uh, more fun, for sure. Uh, this yeah. this movie to me reminded me of when we used to have the term summer movie. Yeah. Before that was all Hollywood made. Yeah, yeah. But like this to me felt like this is the kind of movie that you would get in the summertime that was just this sort of exhilarating, you know, like adrenaline soup. Right. In terms of performances, though, I will say this also, and this is about Tom Cruise again. He registers like a genuine human being caught in extraordinary circumstances. Right. In this film. 
uh, as he does in most of the Mission Impossible films. And in fact, I will say that he is as invested in the the uh, the arc of this character that he's playing, Ethan Hunt, whatever, over the course of these many. 17 or 18 or 36 Mission Impossible films, however many there have been since the 90s. Yeah. He seems actually invested in the, the, the personhood of this character. And most of it has to do with, and this is tough to do in a movie like this because most of it has to do with reactions. Mm. He is reacting to the, the wildness of the world around him. And unlike... Actors who have built a reputation for being stoic and solid action heroes, right? Who are never uh, 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 shaken, sure, by what is happening around them. Who walk away slowly from gigantic explosions that would actually kill them in real life, right? Vin Diesel, The Rock, yeah, Jason Momoa. If he doesn't watch out, yeah, but Jason, he, Jason but, Statham, but, but, but Jason Momoa. Uh, has recently proven in the Fast X movies that he doesn't actually care too much about that sort of thing. Yeah, he's having a uh, good time. Jason Statham yeah. does this. Uh, You're Tom, old school like Schwarzenegger type. Tom Cruise you know. registers surprise, shock, fear, anxiety. Yeah. You know, uh, shakenness. Yeah, no, he's, he's he is... He is... As he's human, a real actor. <laughs> he's as human, that character is as human as can be for yeah. somebody who does the things that person does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I found this uh, very entertaining. It zips along and well. It's on a nice cliffhanger for part two. It for, does. I guess, when's part two coming? Next summer? Uh, well, yeah, when they, is it they, happening? They haven't finished shooting it yet. I they, thought they finished. No, they, start, they, they started and then there was a little strike happening. And so, no, it's Oh, not. did the strike interrupt the, uh-huh. the production? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So, um, yeah, I, you know, and I, I think this is the kind of thing that it's easy to think that it's sort of by the numbers or whatever, but it's hard yeah. to do this kind of movie well because if you could, everyone would do it. This was done really well. You see this kind of thing done badly all the time, and this actually is sort of an example of how you make this thing work. I have one plottish quibble. What? Okay. All right. So the premise of the movie why is... why do you care? Well, go on. I, just listen. All right. Bear with me. Okay. Okay. The premise of the movie is that there is this, this AI that has become sentient. Mm-hmm. And it's messing everything up. And somehow, even though it is like super powerful, it can be tamed with this key if somebody can get their hands on it. Fine. I'll put that aside. That's sure. Whatever. And I also kind of love the fact that the the person on the AI's side, who is the villain here, Isai Morales, yeah, yeah, yeah. is basically like, "Oh, you're a, you're a one man cult who worships technology." Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, that's not my beef. I do appreciate, by the way, that performance as well, because oh, yeah. Isai Morales is really giving you like villain, creepy true believer. Yeah. In his villain role. Yes. Yes. And yes. I was. Enchanted. By yes, it. <laughs> he's fun. Here, so so the one of the, the premise of the film then becomes like, all right, this AI can it can imitate our voices right. and like tell people to do the wrong stuff. Right. So everybody, both the the like the bad guy governments and Ethan's team have to like dig out all of the old analog equipment. That's fun too. The old walkie talkies, yeah. the old satellites, the old everything, which is very cool and weirdly kind of ties into Top Gun Maverick, which is also about like, let's use the 80s stuff, yes. you know. Yes. But. Way better movie than Top Gun Maverick. Oh, for sure. 
because even the even the non-action parts here are, are watchable are, absolutely. and keep the movie moving. Totally agree. Unlike Top Gun Maverick, which is all like boring, 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 <laughs> flying, flying. Yeah, please get back in a plane. Yeah. Uh, okay. So once we have established that like AI is evil, got to do the the analog stuff. Mm-hmm. At that point in the movie, yes. Simon Pegg's character decides that it would be a good idea to use the automatic driver function of his BMW. Okay. Which is a completely digital you know, right. service. Does that would that mean they would get found? Yeah, it means the AI could kill him by driving him off a cliff. <laughs> But it's like I didn't think about that. So like you set up this mostly whole, because I don't know how to understand how anything in the world you, works you, anymore. You, you set up this very specific <laughs> plot thing, but then it's also like, oh wait, BMW is paying us to to show off their driverless function. I guess we just have to do it and not mention and that it's no one that it's completely digital. All yeah, right, <laughs> but anyway, that did, did that. Did that ruin the movie for me? No, I just thought it was funny. Listen, and if I think you it, hadn't brought it up, I wouldn't have even thought about I it. I just I think it's funny that movies are like you can you can stretch things in a movie, but you better not mess with the product placement deal. Yeah, <laughs> a film a film like this, uh, I already know what a film like this is going to be because I've seen the earlier Mission Impossible. Films. Sure, they're going to be stylish and elegant and exciting. And full of impeccably produced everything. Yeah. From stunts to costumes to, you know, the way human bodies are moving on screen. And they're going to do that wacky mask thing. And they're going to do the wacky mask thing, which I also really love. Because of this, I walk into a film like this and I do what they always tell you to do. Why don't you just turn off your brain for a while and be entertained? <laughs> it's this never-ending mantra that yes. people yell at film critics. Yes. Uh, but in the Mission Impossible universe, that's when I do it. <laughs> you, that, that is, they are your a, dri- they're your driverless car. It's a nice little vacation. You defer. You let them take the wheel. Yeah. Like, it, it's not... Uh, in last week's episode we discussed the Helena Wittmann film Human Flowers of Flesh that is not a film you do that in no you don't go to that movie and and think oh I'm, I'm just gonna, gonna follow you I'm where you go sit back for the roller coaster ride <laughs> no you're not you do it for Mission Impossible that's fair you're gonna turn on your brain double time yes yeah tell me this yes because I, I, I'm not sure where I fall on this does is Rob Delaney terrible in this movie no. or does he know exactly what he's doing in Rob this movie? Delaney is doing a bit <laughs> Rob Delaney now Gary didn't know who he was right and it's because Gary didn't watch catastrophe correct I went with my we went with our friend and neighbor Gary Cotty you did to see Mission Impossible in fact he was my viewing companion for Mission Impossible and then for Oppenheimer and then with you for a second time and yes. him for a second time yes to Barbie for my first experience correct of Barbie he didn't know who Rob Delaney was, but I uh, have been a fan for a long time. I even was on the same stage with him at a KCRW. Oh, that's right. Reading benefit. They were. Um, this was before he was, you know, in the Deadpool movies and on his own sitcom Catastrophe on whatever. Prime. Uh, it was on Prime. Uh, he had never seen Catastrophe. He'd never seen. He didn't pay attention to Rob Delaney in the Deadpool movies because he's only in those movies for. He's, very, in, he's only in two. I think. Very brief amounts of time, but he's a comic. Yeah, and very funny. 
but he has a, a <laughs> he has a career in front of him of stoic authority figures if he wants one because he's very tall and he's got that square jaw and he can deliver a flat uh, uh, exposition line like nobody's business while simultaneously not necessarily winking at the camera but letting you know if you know who he is can you even believe that it's me? <laughs> yeah. Comic Rob Delaney <laughs> telling people about the the sentient AI and what it's going to do to the Pentagon and blah, 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 while wearing, while wearing like some general's uniform. Yes, like with the full, all the medals and everything. When he showed up on screen and it was his whole face yeah. on screen delivering absolutely affectless plot information, I went in my chair, oh! <laughs> I, know, I didn't know you surprise. were going to be in this. Probably by surprise, too. Yeah. I, I think there is something about the way that people act in general in, in this movie and in pretty much all the Mission Impossible movies that feels almost Wes Anderson level of deadpan. Right. Like everyone is constantly yeah. just sort of like being very straightforward and dead ahead and not even in like a concerned action movie no, kind no, of way. No, 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 no. But, like but in a just flat, 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 flat and yeah. it works. <clears throat> yeah, the more he kept talking, the more I was like, I feel really weird right now <laughs> yeah, listening it, to you. It was it was odd, but I, <laughs> I I was I admired the the moxie of all involved to put him in that role. Uh, so yeah, um, maybe Paramount needs to buy up a lot of uh, seats, yeah, or encourage viewers in to buy theaters, tickets yeah, for pay, others. Pay it forward, you guys, with yeah. Mission Impossible, <laughs> which is what the studio is doing for that Sound of Freedom movie, which yeah. we have not seen yet. New. And my initial thought for the Sound of Freedom movie was that I would not be seeing it at all because I've had my fill in this life and beyond, uh, beyond into the afterlife when I go to live in heaven with my Lord. Yes. Right? In the mansion he has made for you. I don't want to ever see another faith-based film again for the rest of my life because they are almost entirely, the, the exceptions prove the rule. Yeah. The barf of puke. <laughs> yes. And and this is a the, the the faith being based here is Q stuff. And the and my perspective is a, a a devoutly informed one as a person who grew up in the evangelical church and knows every code word, every every nod, every mm-hmm. wink, every everything, everything. I don't miss it when I'm I don't miss a thing when I'm in these movies. Right. Um so I didn't care. Like, I was going to go see this one at all. I was like, no. And then I heard that there was, you know, QAnon associations. And I thought, double no. Yeah. And now it's a huge hit. It's the cinematic equivalent of try that in a small town. <laughs> and now I feel like when it comes on cable television for free, within the cost of my cable television monthly payment, that is when I will watch it. But I couldn't get into it right now if I wanted to because they keep buying up all the seats Indeed. to show it to whoever decides to show up, which is not very many people, I guess. Uh, there I is a, maybe it is a lot of people. Maybe people are actually walking into the, to the free uh, screening. But my question about that is... How do you walk into the to the multiplex without a ticket unless you? I think the website has a place where you can get a free ticket. Get a free ticket. Something. But but well, if what, I could get a free one. What I keep hearing anecdotally <laughs> is that no, not enough people are doing that because this is showing to like 
quote unquote sold out like mostly empty houses. Right. I would recommend to people there is a podcast called QAnon Anonymous. And they did an entire Jim Caviezel episode. Oh, did they really? Episode 143. Okay. Highly recommend. Oh, all right. Maybe I'll listen to that. But I I feel like now it's become such a cultural moment that I kind of have to look at it. Well, at some Uh, point, we can watch it free with ads on Tubi or something. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but I'm certainly not. No. I'm not participating in this, uh, this utter nonsense. Yeah. This, this papered house phenomenon. What I, my very favorite thing regarding this utter nonsense is the conservatives on like Fox News and, mm-hmm. and more even even more rabid uh, platforms saying things like, "If you don't like this movie, if you don't go see it, right. then you support child sex trafficking." Yes, these are the choices. Yes. <laughs> I can give you the Jennifer Lawrence gif there with the okay. Uh huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Barbie. 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 Why don't you talk about it? Sure. Okay. So this is uh, Greta Gerwig um, directing and uh, screenwriting with uh, her longtime companion, uh, Noah Baumbach. Yes. And collaborator. And um, the film is set in a, a world where there is Barbie land, where the Barbies live, where the Barbies run everything, where the Kens are... You know, uh, waiting to be noticed by Barbies, but Barbie can be anything. She can be a surgeon. She can be president. She can be uh, a sanitation worker. She can be uh, on the Supreme Court or win a Nobel Prize. Um, but the Barbies in Barbie Land are affected by the the whoever the kid playing with them in the real world is. Yeah. So Margot Robbie stars as Barbie. Everything's great. Everything's awesome. Uh, and then at one point she asks the inevitable question, do you guys ever think about death? <laughs> and that sets her off on an imperfect spiral where her perfect day is now imperfect, uh, which as somebody on Blue Sky pointed out, is just like Jean Dielman. <laughs> and uh, so she has to go, when, you know, when, when things start going wrong, including her feet become flat, yes. uh, she has to go to the one sage who can work her through this, which is Weird Barbie. Uh, a Barbie who has been loved too much and so has like jacked up hair and played with too hard marker on her face broken lives in the splits played by Kate McKinnon weird Barbie tells Barbie you have to go to the real world find the girl who's playing with you and make her be not so sad Right. Um, and uh, off she goes with Ken in tow into uh, Los Angeles Uh, she finds out uh, that the, the, the the person who is sad is not who she thought and it's someone else. It's someone else. Yes. And yeah, I would like to to make yeah. this as spoiler free as possible, yes. since the film is still new. Pretty new. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ken, meanwhile, discovers uh, a thing called the patriarchy, and, and uh, he thinks it's rad. Yeah, and it's something to do with horses and trucks, <laughs> and uh, chaos erupts, and so. This is a movie that is, you know, I think when people first heard they're making a Barbie movie, ugh, and then it was Greta Gerwig is making a Barbie movie, it's like. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is great. I'm sorry. This movie is great. I've seen it twice what are you now. Sorry about. I, I like it even more the second time. Don't be sorry. I, I think <laughs> as, as a, a meme I saw going around was yes, uh, Barbie is feminism 101. But given the state of the world right now, people need feminism 101. <laughs> And so the usual bad faith actors of the Ben Shapiro school, like, oh, this movie hates men. It's like, no, this movie shows you a world in which men are treated the way this world generally treats women. Yeah. And 
Apparently men in this world don't like that one bit, or at least the <laughs> ones who are making a big stink about it. Uh, this movie is uh, a, a triumph of design. Oh, yes. Production design, costume, cinematography, all of that stuff. Um, it has it's actually too much to take in. In one view, yeah, no, I'm glad I, 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 I saw it. I've seen it twice. I will be seeing it more. It's the speed racer of now, <laughs> where you feel like there's just a million skittles being thrown at you. <laughs> um, it has a lot on its mind, and that's a good thing. I, I always complain about movies that want to throw their arms around a lot of ideas and they don't manage it. This one does. I think it does. I think that it 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 talks about what it wants to talk about, and it goes into places that you weren't expecting it to go to. It is uh, much like move. You know, uh, it's funny. We saw the trailer for the new musical version of The Color Purple before this movie. Yeah, we did. Yeah, <laughs> and the I remember the first time I saw The Color Purple, and there was nothing ironic in what I just said there. Yeah, no, no, no. I I love Fantasia Barino so yes. much. <laughs> And and I need I need this movie. The first time I saw the color purple, I started crying when Mister sends Seely's uh, sister away, and pretty much didn't stop for the rest of the movie. Right. And then the second time I start I saw the color purple, I pretty much started crying in the first frame and didn't <laughs> stop doing it for this movie. So on my set, the first time I saw Barbie, I cried at the end, and this time I started crying a lot earlier because <laughs> I knew what was coming. Uh, yeah, love, love, love. I think this movie is brilliant, and I, I think that it operates on a lot of different levels, and I think that, that different audiences are going to maybe come away with different things, and kids are going to see it one way, and their parents are going to see it another way. But I think this movie represents an ideal of making a movie out of an IP – and like then giving it to somebody who's actually going to run with it and do something daring and intelligent and provocative with it and not just sort of hitting the beats of, you know this thing, you know this thing, you know this thing. I do want to talk about IP. Okay. And how much I hate it. <laughs> and how much I feel so very torn about the ways that filmmakers like Greta Gerwig and David Lowery and <clears throat> name a cool up-and-coming filmmaker whose work prior to the, the big payday mm -hmm. with the IP movie right. has represented you know, a very personal style of filmmaking, idiosyncratic ideas that you wouldn't get in a, a major studio film. Right. And these directors are being placed one by one by the corporations into positions of control, not so much control, over the IP project. Mm -hmm. And I hate it. But so is it significantly different though than if they were being handed the keys to some big studio movie that wasn't IP based but was still a very corporate piece of fluff? I want all of them to be able to make their own Heaven's Gate. Of course. So that's my ideal world. All right. 
I'll never get that world. The, the 70s will never come back. No. We now live in an even worse yeah. <laughs> timeline. Wes Anderson has somehow managed to like not take that route. Uh, but he's the exception. He has somehow chosen not to do this yeah. and has succeeded on a level that most studios think is failure. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I want Greta Gerwig's next film to be something so weird and so her Mm -hmm. that my, my, my worry is, is, you know, soothed because I am afraid for the future of filmmaking if the the precarity of being a filmmaker mm-hmm. demands that you take the job that's offered to you. And now she she took a whole year to decide. And Margot Robbie like lobbied for this yeah. for her yeah. to, to 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 make the movie. And Thank goodness that Margot Robbie was determined yeah, that no, this was going to happen. She's definitely a driving force here, yeah. not just as a star, but as executive producer. Who she was like, well, if we're going to do this, I need yeah. someone I can trust and believe in to handle this project. But blah, blah, blah. I could just bitch and moan about this for a long time. Mm. Um, the fact is that IP is all the studios care about right now. Yeah. Except for somehow... Like Universal, which keeps making weird little movies <laughs> that they make the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> right. But they also make, make Megan and Cocaine Bear. <laughs> smaller films for smaller budgets that turn out to be very Hits. popular yeah. with audiences, but they aren't two hundred and fifty million dollar movies that they expect to make two billion dollars worldwide. Exactly. They they are still doing a film like Megan or Cocaine Bear, which are genre films. Yeah. They're absolutely not, you know, the serious adult drama. But they are, listen, relatively speaking, they're the art house. <laughs> by, by studio standards, yes. Yes. <laughs> so we, we live in the reality that Greta Gerwig trying to get a movie made is tough. Mm-hmm. And she finally says yes to making a Barbie movie. Yes. And she gives it all she's got. And she makes something that's really successful, not just financially, not just financially, but also critically. Yeah. And it succeeds in doing what she wants it to do. It even succeeds in the face of the unresolvable problem that is the object of Barbie. This is the most popular toy of the 20th century. More popular than the teddy bear, perhaps, even, right? Maybe. Like, certainly more ubiquitous in the ways people discuss the doll and its and its meanings in everyday life. Sure. Not just for children, but for adults. Yeah. So... The teddy bear had fewer accessories. Right. <laughs> it is a toy that has dominated pop culture. And so it becomes... A, 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 a site of problems. Right. Yeah. It becomes a place where all kinds of meanings and all kinds of motivations and all kinds of 
loves and hates are directed at it. Mm -hmm. As a little queer boy, I did not crave a Barbie. I craved an Easy Bake Oven. Ditto. And you also wanted an Easy Bake Oven? I, I, well, actually, I had access to one for a while because my sister had one. See? Uh, but, lucky. But, my, but none of my sisters were into Barbie, and so I always sort of, like, didn't care. I, right. I never cared about them. Right. So anyway, I did not grow up with any sort of uh, positive or negative feelings about Barbie. It was simply a toy that didn't exist in my world. Sure. And that I didn't, I didn't have an interest in. But, again, going back to my... That was a little digression there. Mm. I'll say it again. Barbie is an unresolvable problem, even, by, even, with, even within the context of a smart, knowing, good-hearted film by someone as cool as Greta Gerwig. May I interject? Yes. I, one of the things that I like about this movie is that for a film that is... A literal Mattel branded product. Uh-huh. They delve into that issue. They do that you just brought up. They do far more deeply than I than ever I, would have expected. More than I anticipated. Yeah, um, because I kept thinking, how are they going to do this? How will there be critique embedded in this film? And it is embedded in oh, this yeah. film. Now, those critiques are, as I said, they are addressed in the film. We're not going to bring them up because they are given. They're delivered by characters. Both real and doll. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so, those critiques, I fear, are not addressed to the extent that a lot of people are going to want. Well, sure. Because if you have always felt negatively about this toy and what it means, any celebration of its positive elements will feel kind of like a betrayal to you. Of course. I think the doll means more things than any one film can tackle. Of but course. this one tries its darndest. Yeah. It, it throws, as you said to someone else earlier, throws its arms around so much yeah. that you worry that it can't juggle at all. It can't spin all those plates. It does pretty well at spinning all those plates. I think so. Uh, if I have a complaint about the narrative at all, it is that there is a, you know, even complaint is the wrong word. There's a monologue in the middle delivered by a character that is so rousing and heartbreaking and real and painful and funny. Like, it's very well written. Yeah. I, I thought to myself, maybe this should have been pushed into other characters to drop in throughout the film. And then I thought, no, would that have diluted the message? Is this, is this, this movie's like St. Crispin's day speech? <laughs> I, 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 I like that's that when I decided that I think it is this movie's St. Yeah. Crispin's day speech. And I'm now after some thought, mm-hmm. I'm now Fully like, on board. Yep, you're right. This is good <laughs> because in the, in the screening, if you were listening, mm-hmm. there were people in our screening who were, audibly like cheering on that monologue yeah and that means it's effective and that means it's right yeah i'm hearing about people going to screenings where like it it, it, the audience breaks out into applause yeah you know so here's what i really love and and everything i just said is not 
anything related to me disliking what's happening. It's just that I think that that <clears throat> to say that that you can walk out of this movie and <clears throat> and feel like it it fixed something. Well, I mean, maybe not. Maybe that's too much to place on the does film. Any, does any movie single-handedly? Well, I think people have a lot of hopes, and they want movies to do stuff that they might not be able to do. Well, that, funny. That's why we live in. That's a world. why people buy tickets for other people to see Sound of Freedom because yeah, they think that they're somehow doing something about yeah. an actual global problem. Right. They, we live in a world where now, you know, the Supreme Court just made abortion up for grabs in every state in this country. Right. And there's a Supreme Court joke. There's a couple of them. Yeah. In this film that are very lighthearted and were clearly made and shot and edited before all the trouble. Not necessarily. Or maybe not necessarily. But when I heard those jokes, I was like, oh, the real world just made me... I just remember. I just remembered the real world for a moment, and and so that was a, 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 a I had a bad feeling in the movie, Alonzo. Okay, but I mean, like, look, yeah. th- this movie has some visual shout outs to Dr. Strangelove. When you watch Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> yeah. it is a funny movie and you were yes. also intended to be reminded of the horrors of the real world. Yes. I don't think that's a bug. No. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just saying that, that this is, I had a lot of complex feelings <laughs> watching this film. Um, and you were right though. Fantasy is, is a way to look at the real world. Yeah. Um, and because of it, this fantasy has its heart fully in the right place, and it wants to, uh, it wants to wind up all those strands, all those plates it's spinning, all those balls it's juggling, into one coherent thesis, which is, I think, that there are as many ways to understand this plastic doll, yeah, and its meanings, as there are human consciousnesses. And it's a it's a movie I think that ultimately stands on the side of the complexities of human life, mm-hmm. and not the you know um, uh, uh, perfect plastic you know uh, uh, simulation of same. As complicated and as scary as that might be. Now, getting back to Mattel and the doll itself. Yes. Uh, has there been any kind of queer? Barbie representation uh, in actual <laughs> commerce. Outside of Earring Magic Ken, which was unintentional on their part. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, but there's, have... a, there's a character in the film, I'm going here with the, the young girl, the tween. Uh-huh. It's kind of a misfit. Yeah. A little bit goth. Yeah. Kind of angry. Calls Barbie a fascist. Yes. At one point. Is there a Barbie like that? <laughs> is there like a is there like a grumpy teen bad mood Barbie bad mood Barbie I don't think so is there an Aubrey Plaza Barbie <laughs> and if not why not um, I'm not a Barbie expert so I don't know but okay. I think that for the most part 
you have to remember, like Barbie is not for teen girls. Barbie is for like it's for little girls. It's for little girls, right. and, it's and just, she says that in the film. She's yeah. like, I haven't played with my Barbie since I was five. Exactly. Yeah. And it's this sense of uh, uh, aspiration. Yeah. Which you know, one of the jokes in the movie is the Barbies assume <clears throat> that everything has to be great for women in the real world. Yes. Because they've you know because because in Barbie Land, Barbie can be anything and be yeah. any of these careers. Right. And so, I don't think anybody's. I don't think any parent who is buying a toy for their kid is going to want them to aspire to be sullen teen. They're going to get that anyway. They don't need to prompt it, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I was a bit of a sullen teen when I was about six or seven. Yes, well, you were an early bloomer. <laughs> uh, here's what I super love. Like you said earlier, the design of this is yeah. just... It's... it's, it's it's retina scrambling. Like it is, it is the kind of film that that blows up in your face with with colorfulness. Yeah, and um, and a lot of practical uh, set effects, which are very cool. Too. Yes, and I'll, I also loved the performances, not just mm-hmm. the the emotional content of the performances across the spectrum, yeah. from the real characters to the Barbie Land characters. Yes. I loved the physical performances of the Barbie Land characters and mm. how they were, like, at the very beginning, you see, this, this does not count as a spoiler, you see Margot Robbie sort of floating down from the second level of her dream house yes, as though a child were placing yeah. it and, on the ground. And the, the narrator, yeah. Helen Mirren, even says, like, nobody makes Barbie walk down the stairs. You right. just pick her up and put her down yeah. where you want her. Um, <laughs> there's a, some wonderful physical humor on the part of the Barbie land characters where they can only move the way a Barbie or Ken moves. Yeah. Um, I thought the canonical stuff was funny, even though I didn't get it and had to have it explained to me. Well, the, the, yeah, the closing credits shows you like, yeah, this was really a Barbie toy. At <laughs> one point. Uh, I liked the, uh, the, the clearly Mattel, Someone at Mattel was uncomfortable with the amount of sorrow there is mm. in this film, and that makes me happy. Um, I love the meta silliness of it. Uh, I liked the intrusion of Helen Mirren commenting on action, yes. naming Margot Robbie <laughs> <laughs> at one point by yes. name. Uh, there are allusions to male queerness. Oh yeah, via one of the, yes. the Barbie Land characters. Um, possibly even Weird Barbie because of the casting. Sure. So if The Stepford Wives or The Handmaid's Tale <laughs> imagines a world of patriarchy taken to its most sort of genocidal outcome. Right. I think this one very cheerfully and occasionally sorrowfully mm-hmm. plays with a world where matriarchy runs the show and it makes its male characters look silly and dumb and inconsequential. And, and that is what you said the Ben Shapiro's of this world are upset about. Um, and to that I say, as we said in one of the other podcasts that we do, go watch season one of Mad Men. <laughs> and watch how the women, the characters, yes. are treated by the men on that show. And you will probably get at about Fifty percent of what it was like back then. Yeah. 
And, and often now, still now. Go watch 9 to 5, for yeah. that matter. Yeah. So, I really like this. I'm glad. Uh, I would watch it again just because it's so much to take in at one in one point, yeah. in one in one sitting. Yes. Uh, and and even, oh. even though I hate IP, and even though I do think that there's too much, that Barbie as a thing is too much for this movie to fully sure. resolve, uh, I really like it. And I don't even think it has to resolve it. I think Barbie's not going anywhere. Barbie will, will be an ongoing issue for people, you know? <laughs> uh, also, uh, here's it, another thing I hate. It's a musical, which I adore. Can I also hate one more thing? What do you hate? The success of this film... Is going to give them all the wrong lessons. Well, it's already happening. The, the Lena Dunham making a Polly we're, Pocket movie. We're now going to get a Polly Pocket movie. Yeah, no one cares. I could not tell you one thing about Polly Pocket. No, I could she's at least, small. I could at least tell you things about Barbie because yeah. I'm a human being who lives in the world. Exactly. Um, By the way, if you've never seen Todd Haynes's Superstar of the Karen Carpenter story, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah. <clears throat> the other great Barbie movie. And now. Oppenheimer. Okay. <laughs> Would you like me to talk about Why don't you? Oppenheimer. It is about... Because I'm the weirdo. J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. And it is about his research and his life and his project with the Manhattan Project, developing the, the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki Nagasaki at the end of World War II. It is also about the life of Oppenheimer post-World War II and the, uh, the, 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 the McCarthy era of the 50s and how they tried to discredit, discredit him and ruin him. It is from Christopher Nolan. It stars Killian Murphy and 700 other of your favorite movie stars and character actors. Yes. They got three hours to fill. They've got... Almost they've distractingly got get, so. They've got Academy Award winners in here who sometimes barely speak. Yeah. So, get ready. Get ready to bring your, your, your actor bingo card and see how fast it gets filled in. Oh, yeah. It's a blackout yeah. here. Uh, did I say it was three hours long? It's yes, three sir. hours long. And it is, in the uh, Christopher Nolan way, it is a film that communicates itself not just with a script, but with the formal filmmaking process that he loves to screw around with and use to his own devices, use to his own ends. The aspect ratio changes. It moves from color to black and white. The aspect ratio is a practical consideration of the IMAX camera. It's, yes. Exactly. In keeping with his history of uh, never building a story gradually, <laughs> he drops you down into three different timelines, maybe more than three, Three different eras, and within those eras, there are different yeah. years and locations where the action is happening all at the same time, and you are expected to keep up with the various timelines. And so we get young him studying, you know, physics, mm -hmm. 
we get university professor him. We get Man- Manhattan Project him. We get... 50s him. 50s him. We get married him. We get Florence Pugh as my girlfriend him. We get all the hymns. Yes. A hymn to him, if you will. And the way Nolan brings all these stories together simultaneously is overwhelming as a as a cinema experience. Mm-hmm. I think it is a magnificent film. Um, I was thrilled watching this movie, just watching the way this movie creates itself on screen. I thought Killian Murphy uh, delivers a, a great performance. Emily Blunt might be the first woman character in a Kristen, 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 a Christopher Nolan movie that, while minor, gets to become fire <laughs> by the end of the film. Side note about that, and I think you agree with me here. Uh, he is disinterested as a filmmaker in about half the human population. Yeah. He tells stories about men. Yeah. And when women do show up, they figure peripherally. To quote uh, Shakina, the actress, regarding the Florence Pugh scenes, I need more naked women grinding on the great men of history. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get to that in just a second. Quite often, his women are afterthoughts, or they are victims. Uh, I remember when Tenet came out. Mm -hmm. uh, Great listener Shadi wrote in about how Elizabeth Debicki exists to endure violence in that film, and that's that's not a lie. So here, in this film, we get two supporting woman characters uh one of the scientists is a woman olivia olivia thurlby yes uh she has very little screen time but she's competently and capably doing what robert oppenheimer is doing (laughs) and in a christopher nolan movie that's something and presumably she's only there because she actually existed she was a real human being nolan would not have yes yes um but here's the thing in spite of that, Florence Pugh's performance, very small, mm-hmm. but she makes use of her screen time. And again, as I said, Emily Blunt builds to a satisfying uh, uh, climax. But, 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 but. Yeah, let's talk about that scene. The women, hang on, Ooh. I'm getting to that one too. Okay. The women... In this movie, like the Kens in Barbie, <laughs> they only exist when they're when, looked at. When Oppie looks at them, right? <clears throat> and I know I just said this film is magnificent, and I still think it is magnificent. But there is one scene that you pointed out in your review, and I laughed out loud because I thought you were exaggerating. But no, you were not exaggerating. There's a scene where Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy have sex and a thing happens that can only be described as a moment of absolute, pure 
Susan Sontagian Camp. Yeah. And I started laughing to myself in the theater, and I thought, oh, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> you know that didn't happen like that. No. <laughs> I don't think that's in the book, Prometheus. The dis- pretty, the dis- pretty sure American Prometheus. This yeah. thing that happens. And so I was like, that's a choice. What? What is, I don't know. And Nolan has himself in, in interviews said that he, for that scene, uh-huh. A sex scene. He'd never included a sex scene hmm. in a film. I think he said that it was a it was an uncomfortable, awkward moment for him. And I thought, well, yeah, you can see the awkwardness yeah. on the screen. It's weird. It it's weird that this great movie has this weird moment in it that doesn't. <laughs> it's just laughable. It's not. I think it was meant to be sort of profound and weird, but like, and, mm. and maybe about the, maybe the metaphor of men thinking of their own omnipotence, oh if you know what I mean. That's a, that's a kind read. I, I'm, that's the kindest read I can give it. There are, there are two, I say that I, if, if you don't already know, I'm not in love with this movie. Well, I also did, did not like this I'm movie. very, I'm mixed on it at he's, best. I'm sorry, he, he's mixed. He's not He's not a hater. Yeah. He's just I'm mixed. mixed. Yeah. But, but, but I might as well be a hater because I'm the one <laughs> imperfect score on Metacritic and people keep telling me about that. The other, another scene that clanged for me. Yeah. So Emily Blunt, this entire movie yes. has been sort of relegated to the sidelines for the most part. Finally building up to like the scene that probably made her sign up to do this movie in the first place. Yeah, and she knocks it out. Ah, yeah. she knocks it out. Yeah. But then Nolan knocks her out by drowning her in score. The score gets so loud during that scene, it completely takes away from her emotional power of this moment. And I'm like... Are you kidding me? I've been waiting for Emily Blunt to be Emily Blunt for the last two and a half hours. <laughs> and now it's like she is the background singer to Ludwig Göransson. I'm going to say something about the score and the sound design now. There are moments when the score and the sound design obscure the dialogue. Yeah. And I saw this in a fancy IMAX screen. Hmm. And this will sound weird, but it all felt right to me. Well, the one upside is that his dialogue is generally terrible, I think. So I if you're going to drown that out, you might I am well. old enough to remember the primitive promise of Sense Around. <laughs> I was in the movie theater for Earthquake's initial theatrical run at age 12, and I remember what happened. And... And I have finally experienced Nicole Kidman's sound that I can feel properly. It is, the, it is a rumbling experience in ways you're not expecting, and it's not related to the, to the bombings. I, are we counting the foot stomping as part of the score? Because I think that is the yes. moment where you really do feel that. Yeah, even that. That's part uh, of, I think that's more of the sound design than the score. All of it. Okay. I said this, score and sound design, okay. they work in tandem okay. to make this incredible sonic experience in a, that complements Nolan's really incredible visual experience mm-hmm. that he's giving you as well. Here's my other complaint. There were people living in the Los Alamos area 
in the fallout zone. They were mostly Hispanic and indigenous people. I've lived in New Mexico for a chunk of my childhood. Yeah. The cancer rates of the very real human population after, after the testing for the next few decades were dramatic. Now, the film focuses, of course, as it should, on the death rate in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and it does show the hideously cavalier method, methods employed by the United States government to both test and utilize this bomb. So it's not like the film is celebrating anything relating the aftermath of this. In fact, it does show you Oppenheimer's horror at what he had a hand in making happen. But if it were me, I would want a little more uh, emphasis on, no, 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 we screwed up the whole world because of this. Yeah. I, I, and I needed I, more of that. I think, And I, I needed more of the U.S. government is actually the destroyer of worlds, I, I, I both think, here and in other of course. parts of the world. Uh, I, I think the movie could have maybe dug in a little deeper to the ramifications of the bomb and the yeah. people who suffered from it. I also understand Nolan's argument that this is very much Oppenheimer's POV. Yes. He never went to Japan. He did not see right. the destruction that you know uh, unfolded. So there's other ways that the film presents that. Uh, may I talk about why I don't think this is a great movie? Yeah, please. Okay. First of all, as I mentioned, the dialogue is terrible. No one talks like this. It's very dialogue-y dialogue. And and I'm a... Look, All About Eve, one of my favorite movies. (laughs) I'm not a stickler for naturalism. (laughs) But if you're going to... If that's the pitch you're going to take, you know, that's the tone of of speech, boy, you had better bring it more than Nolan does Mm -hmm. here or in almost any other movies ever made. Second of all... Nolan has this reputation because of his insistence about like formats of 70 millimeter and IMAX right, and the right, sound right. and the blah, blah, blah. Right. Like he is this precise technician of cinema. Yes. And this is a sloppy movie at times. How there, so? There are shot counter shots during conversations that do not match. Okay. Where like words are not coming out of the mouth that is moving. And I don't normally notice that. I don't know if I noticed it because it was, again, 70 millimeter IMAX or just because it was so... Flagrant, but like if you if you were to ever see the movie again, the scene where they're in the tent, the the Oppenheimer brothers and Josh Hartnett are in the tent. Mm-hmm. There's a back and forth conversation that is so like choppily assembled yeah. that I was kind of shocked. Okay, um, you know the 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 Florence Pugh scene is is sort of the apex of this, but so often in this movie, people say things that either read like biopic nonsense okay or if they did say them in real life the movie turns them into biopic nonsense mm. when when a pre los alamos oppenheimer tells josh hartnett whoever josh hartnett plays it was my childhood dream to combine physics and new mexico <laughs> <laughs> come on movie <laughs> All we talked about was, was Cher and, and Aspen. <laughs> it was. Uh, I will say this. I thought the I thought the Manhattan Project sequence is yeah. the strongest part of the film. Yeah. Um, I think that actually, like, I think that that uh, you know, Nolan is a popcorn filmmaker with ideas. Yeah. 
I don't think he's like a filmmaker with ideas who's also like interested in entertaining people. Okay. Uh, and so I, 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 by the end of it, I thought you could have just made like a movie about the Manhattan Project and staged it as a heist film. Okay. You know, where Matt Damon is the Danny Ocean. Yeah. Putting the team together. I guess Oppenheimer is the Danny Ocean. I don't know. Matt Damon's always Matt Damon. Uh, I, I liked Matt Damon in this, by the he's way. Very and he's very funny. He and uh, Alden Ehrenreich are the two mm-hmm. actors, outside of Killian Murphy, are the two actors who turn the turgid prose of Christopher Nolan into things that sound like they would come out of a human being's mouth. Matt Damon is speaking like a human being. Yeah, yes. for sure. For sure. You know, like Robert Downey Jr., people are raving about his performance. It's fine, but he just, by the end of it, he plays the same scene like four times. Mm-hmm. It gets real repetitive. And mm-hmm. so much of this movie, I think, is repetitive. And, and at three hours, you notice these things. Um, yeah, so I, I, I admire, like, the craft of a lot of it. It does look great. Um, but I just, I don't think it's particularly deep about the, the topic that it's covering. And I don't think that it's particularly, um, you know, well done as a, as a, as a piece of drama. I think it does deal with like the pathos of this, the, 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 the deeply horrifying ramifications of what they created. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it does that. I think it very successfully does that. So I disagree with you, um, and I think that it it very much holds together in its you know uh, 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 you know jagged interlocking that, <laughs> puzzle. It is, way. it is edited to a T. It, it is. It, I always knew when I was. It is. I, I was saying this to Gary on the way out. It's symphonic mm. in the way that it has been put together. Sure. Um, and. And like I said, I do have problems with it uh, that I've mentioned. Uh, but in general, I think this is a stunning movie. Uh, if you're looking for an Oppenheimer drinking game, yeah. every time someone says the Chevalier incident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. That phrase is Fine. repeated so Fine. many times. Anyway, yeah. I didn't, didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Uh, you know. Don't at me. Oh, everyone's going to at both of us. Uh, you for disliking it and me for liking it too much. And yes. we... Okay. Here, we, here we are. Um, uh, do we have time for some letters? No, we got to go. Okay. We got to go. We got uh, <laughs> we got this family Zoom we got to be on. Oh, indeed we do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, listen, thanks everybody for listening. Please go read my reviews, including of Barbie and Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible at the Film Verdict. Dot com. You can also uh, listen to me talk even more. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? Um, I'm at breakfast more all day. and more and more. <laughs> With Christy Alonzo, Lemire. We're a podcast. The great man of oh, cinema. stop it. We're also on YouTube. Uh, I'm on uh, Maximum Film at the Maximum Fun Network. And uh, the Deck the Hallmark podcast. So check out all of those. Um you can subscribe to this show for free at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. We'll read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including uh, Spotify and uh, Google Play and Amazon Music and iHeartRadio, um, CastBox, Podbean, you name it. Um, you can uh, drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at linoleumcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you, Blue, as always, for our wonderful theme music. See what he's up to at blueblu.bandcamp.com. We'll be back next time with more, but until then... Goodbye. <laughs>